Everybody have an okay Halloween? It was all right? Yeah? I know it's kind of a weird, interesting time right now. Um, I don't know if you guys had too many trick-or-treaters or not. Um, we kind of like the holiday season, so we still went hard with our decorations. Um, we had the blow-ups and, and the lights and the projections and everything. Um, and it was cool because there were a lot of people in our community that actually really did enjoy it, albeit a smaller amount than normally used to, but, um, but it was still really fun. Um, yeah, it's just been, uh, it's been quite an interesting time that we're in, I think, right now, uh, especially uh, gearing up for this week. Um, honestly, just this whole entire year. I, I don't know uh, if you guys ever stop and just think like how like humanity as a collective whole and people group have gotten to where we are today. Um, it may be just me. I don't know if anybody else thinks about that. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, I, you know, just making sure. Um, and I think about that sometimes, you know, I think about like, man, what, 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 what is happening right now? Like I'll, you know, I, I, I read the news sometimes it depresses me now, uh, social media, like whatever the case may be. And sometimes I feel, I, I find myself asking some of those questions, you know, how did we get here? What am I supposed to do, especially not only just as a follower of Jesus, but like a, a human, just a person that's alive right now? Like what you know, there's I, I'm, I feel like I'm always supposed to have some sort of um, so have some sort of opinion on on what to do or, or or how to go about certain things, a certain way to think. And all of those, like it seems, especially right now, they they don't exactly line up with kind of the standards of the Bible and what God has us wanting to do. And. And then there's even a split between that about how we should go about living out our lives like Jesus the most. I find myself asked, I, I, I ask this question a lot. I don't know if you guys have found yourselves doing this, but like, what are wrong with these people? Like, what, who, who are you? Who are they? What, how? I don't understand. Who, who am I? What am I, what am I going to do? I don't I really know how to live right now. I think, you know, regardless of, who you are and where you're from, there's this understanding that we're, the world is just not how it's supposed to be. Like, you know, whatever you think that ideal is, it's whatever it is right now, it's not that. Like, I don't think there's any people around right now that are like, we're doing great right now. Like as just a collective people, we're doing a good job. You know, it, it makes me think like, you know, what, what's my role? What do I do? Who am I to be uh, during a time like this? And I kind of just want to dive into that this morning. Um, I know it's a little bit warm out here, so bear with me. You guys know me. I love my Bible. So we're going to dig into it a little bit. And so in order to kind of understand this at a more of a deeper individual level, I kind of want to zoom out a bit and kind of see this from a 30,000 foot view. So we're going to hop right into scripture here. Let's jump into Romans. Chapter 1. And we're going to start in verse 18. That's Romans 1, verse 18. Now, if you're reading the uh, little subtitle there in your Bibles, it's okay. Calm down. We're not going to go that far. 
Verse 18 says this, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all of the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness, since what may be known to God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. So let's just stop. Let's pause right there. We're, they've thrown some heavy language at us. And, you know, I, I want to make sure that we approach this in a way we don't immediately get offensive uh, or defensive, rather. Um, and so when, when he's talking about the wrath of God, that's, you know, there's there's a lot of thoughts about that and, and that word and how that happens. Um, and, and I don't think it's, it's not quite, you know, the divine hammer that's coming down, you know, like when when you disobey your parents or something like that, they're like, well, God's wrath's about to come down on you, like whatever that that is. Um, it, it's more so this this idea of, of God handing over humans to the natural consequences of their actions when they choose not to accept his invitation into community. Because that's, that's what God is doing. He's like, I want to partner with you guys. And if you don't want that, okay. But this is this is what will happen. And so that wrath is, is this it's this handing over of people into our own sin, into our own consequences. I don't know if any of you have experienced that before. Yeah. Oh, cool. Right. Same page. Let's keep going. Verse 21. Although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal human beings, birds, animals, and reptiles. 24, therefore God gave them over to the sinful desires of their hearts, sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. So, you know, he's, so he was kind of roasting him a little bit here. He's kind of talking about this and, and, and what's happening here. This is what I love about Paul is like Paul is, if you don't know, he's flexing right now uh, because he knows his Bible um, and he's, he's doing a little bit of a show off. And I, and I love it. I think it's fantastic. And so, you know, he's referencing a story. He's referencing the golden calf story that is in Exodus 32. If you guys are unfamiliar with that, go back, read Exodus. It's amazing. But not only is he referencing that story, but he's also using like very specific and this vivid poetic language in Psalm 106, which is this this poetic retelling of the golden calf story. So he's like referencing a reference that's referencing another reference. And he's like, you're just supposed to get it at this point. Uh, so now that we have a little bit of context, hopefully we can dive in a little bit more. Just exposes how much of my Bible I don't read. I'm like, I didn't I didn't I passed over all of that. I thought he was just coming for my life. And so he's using this as he's, he's, he's using this, this story, this example as, as a critique on, on all of humanity at this point, not just the, the church in Rome that he's speaking to, but, but, but as humanity as a whole, he's saying like, look, this is where we're at. This is what's happened. We've exchanged the glory of the immortal God for idols. Subpar counterfeits. 
it's a really interesting social commentary. And I think, well, is that applicable now? All right, then maybe. You know, it's this idea that I, 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 I take for granted a lot. It's just this idea that humans are made for so much greater than what we are now. God's trying to show us that he's given us his glory. He says, I've made you in my image. So much so that like, what that means is that if, if people see you when you're in community and partnership with me, they, I would want them to mistake you for me. As in the, someone would see God and you and be confused, like, wait a minute, uh, which, oh, okay, I get it. Is that, is, is that the case? It's just this idea that, you know, we can be made, oh man, we have so much potential. And we see little glimpses of it, right? And we get there every now and again. But like, are, are you giving away the glory that God has given to you? It's not even ours to actually give away. You think about it. And, and submitting ourselves to other things that we feel more comfortable with. I can rationalize this. Well, this is the part of God that I'm okay with, and I, I, can, sub, I can submit myself to that. Picking and choosing what type of theology and doctrine that we'd like to have, right? You say, well, well I don't have any statues in my house, so, you know, it's, it's not necessarily that I'm making, like, idols idols. But, I mean, he's, he's speaking to the church here in Rome, and in Rome they had this thing where... They also they already had their kind of, you know, I, um, their gods that they had taken over, if any familiar with sort of the Greek mythology structure. So they had those, but they they literally would make up new gods. And so what they would do is they would deify these just ideas. And, and you know, more secularly, what we have now are kind of just like institutions and they would elevate them to the status of something that should be worshipped. Just a few examples from that time period. Roma, the goddess of the Roman Empire, which is this this deification of the country's nationalism. They're like, we're Rome, the best empire in the world right now. A first world country. Whatever, you know, we'll draw the parallel however you'd like. Goddess Eustidia, the goddess of justice, have they deified the institution and the idea of what is right or morals? This one we still use today, Nike, the goddess of victory. It's about winning. You can do anything you want. They could stay on top. Roman god Liber, the god of wine, fertility, and freedom. It's the same Latin fruit, same Latin root that we get libations from, but also liberty. In this idea of freedom. So a lot of these institutions, some of them, we 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 still, I think, worship them today. A lot of our country's progress has been modeled after. Roman institutions in that way. You know, the real tragedy I think about this that that Paul is trying to convey here is that in the story in, in Exodus, the Israelites weren't making up a new God. They were making an idol thinking that it was in the image of God, of Yahweh, our God. And what's hard is because they're they're trying to make this idol, which was a which is a cow, by the way. <laughs> if I was just guy, I would just be offended. I was like, you you. I mean, this is how you see me. 
<laughs> you made okay. If you read that story, God got pretty angry. Moses had to go calm him down. Five times he asked, like, please don't destroy us. They don't know what they're doing. I'm so sorry. It'd be like that sometimes, isn't it? <laughs> but that's the real irony there, isn't it? Like, it's, it's the real tragedy, rather. It's that we're the very things that resemble God. And that divine status that has been created for us, we just gave it away. What parts of God's glory are, are you exchanging right now? Have you given them away for other things? Maybe it's the zeal and, and passion that the image of God is to have. But in order to signal praise to the creator and creation, like that, that feeling of this, that, that strong emotion, which is awesome. It's biblical. It's great. God is a God of strong emotion. But have you exchanged that for being controlled by your emotions? Right now, outrage is just counterfeit power. If you are the loudest, you're probably right. If you feel so strongly about it, it's probably justified. Have you exchanged the glory of the God of the universe who brought order out of chaos? Just go back. Read Genesis 1 and 2. Like, it is, it's astounding. A lot of it, you're like, whoa, wait, whoa, wait a minute. And you have to understand this poetic literature, right? You need to understand how to approach it. But it's amazing. Paul says you can't look around and say that, like, this world is not how it was originally supposed to be. Because just look, it's a beautiful day outside. Could you have come up with that? Like, no. <laughs> everything is ordered. The God that has, you know, everything under the sun has been made. It's got to have a day and time. Everything that's there. Have you exchanged that type of order for, well, whatever has the best policy, the best system, the best structure? best legislation, that's what real order is. I'll worship that. And those who create and maintain those systems are to be glorified and not God. Is it the abundance and overflowing generosity that God provides for us? Exchange for the idea that more wealth is better. And if you know, you have the knowledge of how to get more, that's called wisdom. It's just being efficient, setting myself up for success. Is it the amazing role that sexuality and intimacy has with the image of God? Loving and being of other instead of self is the most beautiful form of becoming one in community together. God calls Israel to partner with him. The, the language that's being used there in Exodus is that of a marriage. Have we exchanged that for self-serving acts because happiness and pleasure are an individual right? And to celebrate something of such, it, it defines my identity. That's who I am. And the one who really knows what my body needs is me. And if I'm meant to be ashamed by that, that's wrong. God, God has made us in his image so much more than I think we sell ourselves short for the Israelites. I think they maybe part of them understood that. And they said, that's intense. We've seen what God can do. Not even what he looks like. We, we can't even look him in the face. Moses, you go talk to him for us. It's too intense. We'd rather domesticate God 
literally, they made a cow and they said, we can handle this. This seems like something that we can give ourselves to. This is more rational for us. We're going to champion these types of ideals and this corner and section of our faith. Like that's the one that we're going to push the initiative for. All the while thinking that like, yeah, it, it looks like God. We're, yeah, it, I'm, I'm a disciple. I'm a Christian because of this defining themselves by to something that they've made. I just, you know, we're made for just so much more than that. And, and so I, I just want us to see that, to think about that for a moment, especially during a time in a climate like this, where it can be easy to become detached or to get enmeshed in what's going on with us right now. To think like, oh, no, we're, we're supposed to be different. We're, we're far and above. When people look at you, do they see the image of God? We have the potential to do so. God wants us on his team. I grew up um, playing basketball. Joe knows the story. Uh, and so I would, I would go, um, I was with my cousin at a young age. We would go to, uh, go to the, like uh, a local park and there's this kind of culture that happens when you play basketball with all these people and things. And there's this real sense of community that I loved and it definitely kind of helped shape me growing up, things like that. Came out of a lot of trouble to be honest too. And, um, you know, when you go and you play there, they do this thing where that, you know, you, everyone, there's this kind of this, this brief period of shoot around. And so like, it's supposed to be casual people warm up, but what you want to do is you want to kind of showcase how good you are so that people will pick you on, you know, their team when it comes to start, you know, picking teams and things like that. Um, so like, you know, I, I would go with, um, with, with my cousin um, who who's older and I'd have some of my other cousins too. And, and some of my other cousins, they didn't play sports. They, there was, you know, they were like, eh, it's fine. We'll be over here. And so, you know, when they came, they were just kind of just messing around and we would just, you know, hang out and things like I was, I was really into it. I really loved basketball and things like that. So I would try, you know, I was going to try hard and stuff like that. Um, but, uh, but, but yeah, so, so they wouldn't really want to participate. And they were like, nah, you don't, you don't want us on your team. We're, we're bad. It's not like, that's just not, that's not my, that's not been my sport. It's not my area of expertise. I'm kind of more over here on the sideline. If you need moral support. I'm there for you. But like, God doesn't need moral support. God's God. You have no use on the sideline. He's like, I want you on my team. Let's go. And you're like, God, I suck at this sport. Like, it's not, it's not for me. God's like, no, 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 it's fine. Trust me. Just, just get in here. It'll be good. It'll be good. It'll be good. And so we get in there and it's like, we just don't know what to do. And it's really intense. And so we'd rather just be like, well, no, maybe I can just do this over here. Or I'm a lot more comfortable in this area. So, you know, let me just kind of, God can't, God can't turn me into anything different. God's like, no, I, I want you here. Anything that you lack in, I'll pick up the slack for you. So it might mean that really entering into community with God, really becoming the image of God means like, we're going to be chucking bricks. Like it's going to be bad. They're going to be air balls. It's going to hurt. We're going to have to invest in relationships that don't necessarily invest back in us. And it's just going to be a painful experience at times. But God's like, I want you on my team. And through this community, like you're going to end up playing like me. It's going to be nice. Some people think that they're like, yeah, I'm on God's team. It's good. And then they get in the game. And God's like, do you think you can play? <laughs> And then they're quickly humbled to realize, oh, I'm not as good as I thought that I was. <laughs> Maybe that's the case when you kind of have entered into discipleship. You're like, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a pretty Christian person. And then 
you start studying out the scripture and you get into what, do you, what does it mean to really be the image of God? You think, oh, shoot, I, I, I'm not as good at this game as I thought that I was. <laughs> and that's all part of it. That's that's OK. So you think, what do we do now? How do we live in a time like this? You know, I think it's um, especially during, you know, COVID and and the election coming up this week. It's such a fearful environment. I think that's just what it comes down to. A lot of that tension and that insecurity, like people are just scared. Times are uncertain. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's even kind of what think about what the virus has done. It's just caused distrust. Are you good? Where'd you go this week? Oh, you're one of those people. And I think Satan has used that to dismantle the, the, the one of the huge weapons that we have, which is community. That's what God wants. He says, no, let's do this together. So how do we live in a community like this where it's it's against the standards of what God wants? How do we live in this type of post-Christian exile that we're in? It's, it's home, but not quite. Don't really feel safe. I'm not like dying, but it's not looking very good for people like me. Do we respond in fear? Do we complain? Self-pity, maybe? I love this one. This author, Robert Davidson, he calls self-pity the, the harlot emotion. If we're supposed to be in relationship with God, are you having an affair with self-pity? You just feel real bad for yourself? And you're like, man, this stinks. I don't want to have to wear a mask. These other people over there, they're not wearing masks. I want to be able to go to movie theaters. Some of them are opening up now, actually. Okay, but Complaining, feeling bad about where we are. I really like this. I just, I just want it to be over. This job isn't great. This family group that I'm in is weird. <laughs> is that how we were to respond? To still be images of God and in exile? What does that look like? Author Lee Beach, this is this is his definition of exile. He says the experience of knowing that one is an alien and perhaps even in a hostile environment where the dominant values run counter to one's own. Is that not what we're in now? So what do we do? Let's bring it in here. Jeremiah 29. Jeremiah 29, we're going to start in verse 1, just to give us a little bit of context here. It says this. Let me find it. Okay, perfect. This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from, uh, from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles, to the priests, the prophets, and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into Jerusalem, uh, carried uh, into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. So um, if you guys are, are unfamiliar with this, I definitely recommend reading Jeremiah. It's fantastic. But essentially what happened is God tries to partner with his people and you know, they exchange his glory for idols and counterfeits and what have you. And this happens 
basically just over and over and over again. They're like, we're sorry. And then they do it again and again and again. I don't know if you guys have uh, experienced anything similar. Uh, this basically happens for about like, like hundreds of years at this point. And finally, God goes, well, if you don't want me, then okay. And it's that wrath that we talked about, handing them over to their consequences. So their big bad neighbors, Babylon, they come in and they just wreck Jerusalem. Like Israel's destroyed, the temple's destroyed, thousands of people are killed, families are taken off into captivity uh, in Babylon. And so Jeremiah comes in and and he's writing to those people that are in, in Babylon at this point. They're in a, a place that is unfamiliar to them. It's a different language. The customs and ideals that people champion are way different. And so this is the kind of setting that he's, that he's speaking into. So I think maybe we can learn a few things. Because God still actually wants to partner with Israel. He hasn't left them yet. Which is an interesting thing. It feels like it, maybe, just based off of the current circumstances. But he says, no. Verse 4, Jeremiah 29, verse 4 says this. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters into marriage. It's a different cultural context. Stay with me. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. Verse 10, this is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you. I will fulfill my good promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans for you. Uh, the, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope in the future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me. And find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. So the resounding gong here is it's this message of hope. He says, no, like we're in this place, but I'm still here. And I'm still willing to partner with you. I've still made you in my image. I'm not going back on that word. And so what, what happens here is God's it's he's reminding us of who we are. He's mirroring some of the language back from Genesis one and two as well. He even gives these seven commands. And so let's go through them as we finish out here. Command number one, build houses and settle down, plant gardens and, and eat what they produce. So it's it's may this may not be where you want to be at right now. This next week depending on how it ends, you may feel a little bit more in exile than you did before. It may not be the place in which you want to be. The season of your life may, may not be the place that you want to be in right now, but it is where you are. Make the best of it. Take what it offers you. Plant gardens, eat what they produce. Number two, marry, have sons and daughters, find wives for your sons, uh, give your daughters to marriage so they can have sons and daughters. 
you know, this is about living in strong multi-generational community. Some of these people that are kind of come into exile will be born, raised, live, and die in Babylon and captivity. But the whole entire purpose of this, what he's talking about here is, hey, you guys need to have this tight interwoven community that's multi-generational. It's a family affair. That's the type of community that you should be building. Because when God does fulfill his promise and he, when he, and he will do that, will those people know about him? Will that generation that has grown up in a time like this come out and say, oh, you know what? It's because of God. That's why. Do they, will they know him? Number three, increase in number. Do not decrease. This isn't just about having kids, but it's about inviting other people into that community. He says, this is, this, this is kind of what we're making here. Let's go share that. Be fruitful and multiply, as it says in Genesis, right? Four, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Yikes. He says, work as if you're working for the Lord. Be a good citizen. Abide by the laws. It's about taking care of where you're in, even if it is exile, which means like looking out for those that are on the margins, the fringes of community. Jesus explains it as, you know, the orphan, the widow, the poor. Do you give to the community that you're in, even if you don't necessarily feel that it's the best one? Do you seek peace for the leaders of that community? Especially right now, we're in the middle. Like, election's about to come up. It's going to be a pretty intense, divisive time. Regardless of who it is that you voted for, if the other person wins, sometimes what we do is we hope they do a bad job so that we feel validated in our response. Like, man, I really <laughs> hope that guy runs this country into the ground. Why? You live here. He's like, no. <laughs> Pray for peace for your leaders. I hope whoever it is, if the opposite guy, whatever your persuasion is, wins, I would hope you would think, man, I really hope that they prove me wrong. Is that not a response that we should have? Number five, pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you will too. You see the language that's met, that's here. It's not met with hostility. There's no aggressive Facebook posts or passive-aggressive Twitter comments or conversations at your dinner table. We're not, uh, we're not creating factions or little coups. It wasn't, hey, believe in God, bolster up your strength, we're going to overthrow Babylon. That's not what happened. He said, you're going to be here for a while. Best sit with that and pray for the prosperity of this area. It wasn't about, ah, well, I'm just giving the facts. This is the real happen. I'm just stating facts at this point. Or I'm I'm trying to bring awareness to these things to create conversations for change. I've heard that one quite a bit. It's met with love and prayer. It says, hey, we just let's just pray. Is that the first thing you do? Before you open up your, you know, you open up your phone or log on to your laptop or whatever it is and that rage of emotion or before you snap with that comment is your first thing. I should probably pray about this. That's not me. I'll be open. I, I don't do that. I've exchanged that glory for sure. Number six, do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. 
This is the only do not command. Everything else is framed very positively. This is what we can do. It means that it requires you to, to act, to do something. You have a say. It's the one thing that says, hey, don't let this happen. I think Paul says it best here when he's talking to Timothy. Second Timothy uh, 4, verse 3. You don't have to turn there, but it says, For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Especially during a time right now. Are you gathering around people that just say what it is that you want to hear? Yeah, this is okay. You don't really have to worry about that. Well, I mean, scripture kind of says this. So honestly, I think this, you know, I think you're fine here. Don't let them deceive you. Last one he gives here. Seek God with all your heart. God's here. We just have to seek him out. He may be in a place that we don't expect. He might be in a place that, like, we just don't want to go. Like, I see it over there, but I'm not going to go over there. It seems uncomfortable and dark and scary or whatever the case may be. I have some wounds. I've tried to go there before, and it didn't work out for me then. Definitely not going to go back now. But he's asking us to move towards him when we seek him with all our heart. Versus, uh, we all kind of, we all kind of like using Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. Like that's kind of that go to. Like yeah, God's prosperous. He's got my best in mind. It's going to be great. I love this because I, uh, I, I skip, I skip verse ten. Verse ten says this. This is what the Lord says: When seventy years are completed for Babylon, I will come for you. All that blessing stuff that happens, he says, that's after seventy years, though. What if COVID lasts 70 years? Right. Some of us are like, no, don't. I don't want to think of That's not. If God is there, that's not where I want to go. Nope. What if the, the, the new candidate or whatever proposition that you didn't want stands in power for 70 years? Whatever season of hardship or exile you might feel yourself in, what if that lasts longer than that you would like? Are you still going to be the image of God in exile in that point? Are you still going to create community and give to an oppressive system that doesn't share the same ideals as you, that, that beliefs run counter to your own? Will you still put God's glory on display or you give it away, exchange it for something else that's more palatable, that makes sense, that's hip with the times, as Job says. <laughs> We're meant to be so much more images of an immortal God, and he invites us into this beautiful, like this Trinitarian community. Before there was any people, God was already in community. He was like, there's me, there's a son, there's a spirit, and we're just glorifying each other. And it's awesome. I just love it. We should invite more people into this. And that's where we come in. So it's like, well, what do we do? Well, that's our role to be in that Trinity community of love. So it's not to be detached from where we are. And well, you know what? Like sin, sin, this is the world. Heavens, yeah, you know, that's my home, not this one. So it's kind of, you know, like whatever. Don't really need to engage. It's not really healthy. 
I'm just going to cut the toxic people out of my life. I mean, yeah, sure. But I mean, that also robs you of your ability to serve, to be patient with one another in love, to be slow to anger, to be quick to listen. He doesn't call us to be detached. He doesn't call us to be enmeshed with the society that's around us. He says, don't exchange your glory for other stuff. He says, like, well, what about this that happens over here? What about that in this country? What about all these things and all these needs and all these ways that things are just wrong? Do you care about that? Do you have an opinion on this? Are you passionate about that stuff? Did you see that? What about this on the news? What about the story that's happening over here? So it's like, well, what do you do with that? Oh, is one more important than the other? Well, I'm going to prioritize this one. This is my right theology or my left theology. And like, and that's the one that I'm going to give glory to. It says, no, don't become enmeshed because we're supposed to be different. Become differentiated. To be set apart, if you will. Holy, not right, but righteous. So we think about this as, as we close out here, guys. Jesus came as an example. He said, listen, I'll let me help you guys out because you're struggling a little bit. I still want you on my team. I haven't left yet. Still here. Gives Jesus as an example of what it really does look like when humans accept the glorious status that God has given to them. When they live into the potential, when they actually become an image of God. We've been going through all these one-on-ones with Jesus. That's what it looks like to do this in exile, in community, to respond to people in those ways. And that sacrifice is for us. When we mess up, in which we will, because remember, we suck at this game. <laughs> it's not our sport. That love and that grace that God gives us through the sacrifice of Jesus invites us back into that community every single time. So church, not just this week, not just Wednesday, but every week, every day, making sure that we are reflecting the glory of God, not exchanging the glory of the immortal God for false things, but existing as truly being images of God which is what he's created us to do. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's close out in a prayer. Dear Heavenly Father God, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for your invitation into community, God, to, to partner with you, to share your glory with us, God. I know that we all fall short of that glory. But God, you still invite us into that community, God, especially in a time like now, a fearful time, a divisive time, uncertain. God, I pray that we can still exist in community, God, that we can be images of you and not give that away to idols. God, I pray just for this community, God, CMB Church. I, I pray for all communities elsewhere, disciples, disciples of, of Jesus and people that are really trying, God, to reflect you in their life. God, I pray for our leaders. God, we are in a tumultuous time, Amen. regardless of where you stand or who it is that 
you may feel that you need to give your allegiance to. God, I pray that we give our allegiance to you. That we don't exchange that glory for something else, God. Pray for, pray for just the time that we're in, God. I pray that we can prosper through it. That we can see the, the abundance, God, and the love and, and the community that you are trying to establish, even in a place, in a time like this. God, I pray that we can know that. We can make the most of it, God that we can create multi-generational community of people who reflect you and your image. God, I love you so much. Pray all these things in your son's name. The church says, Amen. Wow. I, uh, I can't say enough. Thank you, Aaron. I really love, I mean, you came through what we talked about. The, uh, the um, you know, this is what happens when we come together and we elevate, you know, we don't, we don't look at the here and now we, we look to the eternal, and I, I really want to say thank you, Aaron, for reminding us of the God that we serve, the greatness of that God, how much bigger and beyond everything we face uh, He really is, and how we, if we put our trust in Him, can, can experience a completely different life, uh, even in the midst of difficult times. So, Aaron, again, thank you so much. Uh, it was fantastic.